0: This is Jim Cathcart. Welcome to the December edition of Voices of Experience. We begin this issue with Pagin Echeverria. Pagin is one of NSA's great personalities. She started out on the streets of Brooklyn as a gang member and has transformed her life and career. Her insights have led to creating a major enterprise and her business continues to evolve. If you're like me, you're going to find her dedication and mindset to be inspiring.
1: What we do is we manage and produce extraordinary experiences worldwide, inspiring billions to lead. Um, we are a management company and we produce three very specific areas okay. situational training, event management, and organizational development leadership. All right. Under three ways. Scalability, systems, and strategic. Love it. And so when we talk about extraordinary experiences, everything that we do is er experiential in some shape or form. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about worldwide, currently we work... Um, we have a contract with the Air Force that does situational training. We have a three-year contract, and we train every two months. Two thousand officers and senior enlisted, both from the United States and twenty countries.
0: Wow! Now, that, that, it just amazes me. I mean, here you started out as a speaker, a speaker. You know, yeah. You're a, a woman with a book and a and, and a message, right? right? Absolutely. And it was you and your voice going out there and enlightening the world, and. You had some insights that allowed you to start taking a different direction
1: that has now turned this into a, a major enterprise. Mm-hmm. The work that we do is so important for my team and for the people that we serve because we know that the work that we do saves lives. So yeah. when we do um, our situation training, with for instance, the Air Force, how they interact with people how they are learning how to communicate with people that are not like them.
0: Well, give us an example, because you're saying situational training. Okay, so situational
1: training, the best way to describe it is if you've ever gone to Universal Studios and you've walked in and you've seen actors making you be involved in a scenario. Right. That is situational training. We do it for the military primarily and national security um, forces. So, wow, this is like so, when I was
0: going through basic training in the army ages and ages ago, and they had situations, m- mock war situations that we had to go in and figure exactly. out. Exactly, and so through. there would
1: be people that would be there like actors saying, "Go get away, you're yeah. not allowed." So we provide those actors.
0: Wow. And
1: and so our actors, you this probably this has got to be so much fun. It is so much fun. I mean, it, it is not glamorous. no no. so when i go to alabama with my team of people i am wearing combat boots Mm -hmm. i am out we just came back from alabama and it was pouring rain in mud well my act my actors and facilitators need to be out there part of what occurred for me was uh the awareness in 2004 i made a very strategic decision for myself in that i wanted to create something that i could sell or that if something should happen to me Mm -hmm. that my family had something they could either manage or sell. And I began to take courses and, and everything from financial to marketing large companies to educating myself about what did the major large organizations do to become large organizations. I think that's
0: a key point. I want to make sure our listeners notice that you are studying big enterprises to learn the principles and the structure that will allow you to become that scalable.
1: Absolutely. So for for me, it's a constant study about what are the processes and the systems in place mm-hmm. to build a strong foundation. And so for us, it's what is the systems, mm-hmm. strategic systems, scalability. How do we do that? So my office, um, my core team is five. Mm-hmm. We have a 1,000 um, 1099s, trainers, facilitators, and then we have role players. Yeah. And the government is intensely uh, process-oriented. Of course. So in order for us to grow the business, it was an internal process that we had to get is what would happen if. So we play games in my office of what if. What if we have five events for role-playing, we have to deploy um, literally a thousand role-players in three places, and we are asked to do this in Vietnam, Malaysia, Germany can how would we do that and so we have practice scenarios in our office of how would we run the finances how would we run the communication how would we speak to the the contract officers how would we manage it all who do we need to bring in so you walk into my office and we have an Mm -hmm. organizational plan so we can be prepared for what we expect to come for NSAers. I think it is critically important that you think through your operational processes so that you're prepared for the onslaught of success. Mm -hmm. See, too often what I keep on hearing is people wanting success... Whatever that is. I wanna I I wanna have a best selling book. Yeah.
0: But they're uh, not gearing is, up for it. I want to be a national celebrity. I want to be but then national celebrity. How ce- am but I gonna manage the demand?
1: How do they manage when they go into into an event and you're the star? Mm-hmm. So some of you NSA members know me, the my trick. I knew what I wanted to do. So I did prepare. Sure. So I would go to a speech and I would hire an entourage who would wear black and they'd come in and and you know, if you look like a star, you act like a star. There you go. The assumption is you are one. But it really helped me to learn how to manage when we went to some big events working with high-level personalities. We had a contract with one of the major international airports during a Super Bowl. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And we were hired to produce situational training for customer service. We had to teach them, well, what happens if, you know, a, a superstar comes in and somebody's been stalking? What is a prep? So my janitors had to learn how to block off the bathroom. Had I not done that other prep work, we wouldn't have prepared to, what do we teach people to do that? Mm-hmm. In other words, ha- had I not practiced it myself by hiring things, ha- people, how would I educate this airport yeah. to manage celebrity status going in? Even though we have a, a great deal of fun in the process we are very serious about it because one what we do is life i am a parent of two soldiers
0: mhm thank you
1: and everything that we do every single one of these soldiers and, and airmen and sailors and officers and tsa people who you may just drive you crazy, but they're protecting you. Every single one of those airline um, flight attendants, their job is to protect you. And they're all daughters and wives and sons. And and so the work that we do is so important. They have to know in everything we do that what they do is valuable, that they must learn it so they come home safe, and that they protect our each other and our country with everything they've got and I am in my business and our people we are totally dedicated to that there is nothing we can do that's more important than the work that we do and I'm on truly honored to be able to be the CEO of the company and, and, and push it out and know that these people give everything to make sure that the people we train and lead and give these extraordinary experiences to give it to everybody else yeah. And I want to reach as many people as possible. I want to be, I finally accepted I want to be big.
0: Thank you, Pegene, for sharing your magic with us. It's inspiring to see how committed you are for protecting those who serve. As a former military officer and citizen of this country, I deeply appreciate that. And as a colleague in the speaking profession, I appreciate you. Chad Hymas is an inspiration to all of us. For those of you in NSA that don't know, Chad's life changed instantaneously when an accident left him a quadriplegic. Only then did he decide to become a speaker. He traveled such a different path than other speakers despite the challenges that altered his dream. So let's listen as Chad describes how he started from nothing in the speaking business, but found ways by using the community around him and what he was familiar with to build his impressive speaking career, despite those challenges.
3: My dream since I was two was to be a guide. And in the home that I was raised in and the family that, that, that taught me, guide simply was, dad took two-year-old Chad out in the mountains, father mm-hmm. and son, and we went and looked for elk. And we tried to get as close as we could. And then I learned as I grew up that one could make a substantial living at that, living a passion, a dream. So I always wanted to have a lodge, have a guiding outfitting service, raise the elk on our farm, and then take people out and guide them to get close. There's my definition of a guide.
0: Outstanding. And then you had an accident that radically changed the way you went about building
3: your business and your career. The accident and, while being a guy, I mean, while, while building that dream. The accident yeah. occurred while building that. That's very fair to say. So while yeah. building that. So that give our happened. listeners just a quick overview of that.
0: I don't want to focus sure. on that yeah, as the message, but but I want to you know, tell out,
3: them about it. Out feeding the elk that I was raising to yep. produce the calf crop that would be the animals that we get close to. That's So it's Jurassic Park with elk, 25,000 <laughs> acres, feeding one night, got struck by a bale of hay in the head uh, and broke and broke some bones in my neck and became uh, a quadriplegic. So mm-hmm. no legs, no hands, although they, 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 they're still attached to my body.
0: <laughs>
3: There's your rundown. There you go.
0: Yeah. And, and yet, despite that, you've not only built a speaking business, but you've built a thriving enterprise. Could you give us a little,
3: uh, could you guide us down that path? Well, you just said it. I, uh, not, I'm not talking about the thriving speaking business. I learned there are alternative definitions yeah. to the word guide. Several, several right answers that also produce a living for my family. And here I was thinking that a guide was, I'm going to go take people, and if we get an animal, I'm going to get a paycheck. Yeah. I found out, number one, there's a different definition to the word guide, so that was keynote speaking, which is what my mentor did. And I thought, all right, I'm going to go speak, and I'm going to get paid. And then over the course of a 10-year period, I've learned that there are several definitions of the word guide, which lead to several alternative revenue streams. And so I had no, no speaking background and no clientele base. And so all this I did— This was 2002? 2002. Yeah, exactly. February 19, February 2002, mm-hmm. the thought came to me. And all I had was what I had in the past. I had my construction company people that knew me, landscapers, and I had some ranchers, cowboys, and church folk. And I went there and started there without getting paid. And then nine months later, I received $500 to go speak at a school assembly. Uh, And I was just blown away that, you know, maybe I don't have to take that disability check anymore. It's embarrassing to – I had a hard time with that.
0: I understand. And
3: and I just want to say this. One of the most rewarding days of my life was taking a check back to disability after taking from them for 14 months and giving them a check. The nature of your business today is what? Nature is several-fold, so uh, keynoting still in existence, um, and, and love to do it, but I discovered that when I go and speak and do a keynote, I'm looking for any and every way to continually add value to the same client. So Jim Cathcart hires me in to come speak for his company for, uh, for an honorarium, uh-huh. and I go and I spend 60 to 80 minutes, maybe 90 minutes, speaking. But really, during the course prior to that, I'm getting to know the company. I'll even offer to fly out if I'm in the area or even make a special trip out. And then I'm there a day, if I can, before the meeting to go to dinner with with you, Jim, Mm -hmm. and then spend time with your people. And even if I can't fly there and be with you personally, you know that I'm on the phone with a bunch of your people so that I can get to know as many. Because in the end after I'm done, I'm going to want to come back to you and your team and offer you some options, which is now my alternative revenue streams. And those yes. options come in the form of a learning management system online. That's a mm-hmm. whole other revenue, uh, revenue system. That option comes in the form of people have chosen, we have, have Inspire Life Mastery, and I'm also in the safety industry. I never knew there was a niche for that. That just kind of Yeah, I discovered so, that a
0: few years ago. Yeah, and it's
3: been a marvelous. I haven't tapped niche. it, but it, it is big. It's marvelous. Yeah. It's very big. Um, and so those people, let's just talk about that. So the safety industry, Yet Chad Hymus comes in, does a keynote for their annual refresher training. Mm-hmm. But now how can we add value? Well, Chad's going to send a three-minute message customized for our group. Every single week on Wednesday, and we'll flesh that out to all of our people over the course of seven days, and they get to hear from Chad, customized to them on a regular Video or basis. audio or it's video. It's, video, it is video. Okay. Um, the audio, I really haven't tapped into that. I just I've done straight video and learned that from Terry Brock on mm-hmm. how to how to do that and 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 make an income at it, and that's been so. You can charge a great fee for that, but it's continuous residual income, mm-hmm. and you've got to spend five minutes with a bloggy camera. I mean, it doesn't have to be technical and, yeah. and, and deliver some value. And it's yeah. really been a great revenue stream for us. Uh, I mean,
0: you, you truly are making a difference for your audiences and, and your clients and for your readers. Thank you very much
3: thank you I, uh, there are several guides listening to this and mm-hmm. we're all looking for different ways to help instill hope in the people That whether you're a trainer a consultant uh, whatever it might be a keynoter yeah. in, the one thing we have in common uh, a musician you love to play I, 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 oh, yeah. you're instilling hope inspiration into the people that listen to your music or to the spoken word and there's your definition of a guide yeah. instilling and, hope in other people thank you Chad
0: as many of you know from this year on VOE, I've assigned special correspondents to explore parallel universes to the speaking world. We've been exploring the world of storytelling, and now I'd like to introduce you to Scott Halpert. Scott Halford is taking a deeper look into the world of radio. Scott sat down with Laurie LeBay, who is possibly the biggest spokesperson in the world on the subject of Alzheimer's disease. Lori chooses to get her message across by doing Blog Talk Radio. Scott sat down with her to find out just how easy it is to reach thousands of people on a weekly basis and how you can do this on your own, too.
4: I'm here with Lori LeBay, and part of her branding is uh, Blog Talk Radio. So I'd love to ask you... Um, Lori, why specifically do you use Blog Talk Radio and what does it do specifically for your business?
5: For Blog Talk Radio, um, one, it's a very economical mode and it's a very easy platform to use. But in order to really make this work for you, you have to be consistent and persistent with it and have a big picture plan. Blog Talk Radio or any radio is not something you can just kind of do. You're either in it or you're out of it uh, if you're really going to try to build your brand. Because the audience just constantly grows. People are sharing things. People are hungry for information. But I've found that it also has to be a casual voice. And so people get really nervous um, coming on the radio show. And, you know, I just tell them, listen, you can sit in your pajamas and have a cup of coffee in your own house, just be in a quiet area. This is going to be like talking to a friend. And my goal is to bring out their passion. So one of the key things that I do that I think is different is I ask my guests, what are five talking points that they want to go down? And then to put those in a question format so that I make sure I bring them down their path of passion. Because when people are talking about their passion, then you have a really interesting conversation
4: do you know how many people are listening? Is there a way to measure that?
5: Yeah, according to the back room, we get anywhere from, you know, typically a month, and I do four shows a month at typically two hours um, each show. We get an average between 45 and I think our highest was close to 8,500 a month. They can listen to it, they can actually embed it, so if they like the episode, they can even upload it to their own websites as well, so there's You know, It's really about content and sharing knowledge and making it easy for people to like it or put it on their Facebook. When I do the blog talk, I'm also very committed to social media. Again, social media doesn't cost you anything but your time and if you're going to hire that out, I mean, you can get somebody fairly cheap.
4: Can you trace back any talks that you, you know, speeches that you've been hired to do because of the time you put in on your radio?
5: Just recently, I've got a very large foundation that just contacted me to emcee a webinar that's coming up. I'm going out to New York, September 20th, if anyone's out there, um, to play croquet at Rockefeller Center for Alzheimer's Disease and cover that event. So that'll be fun.
4: If people are interested in getting on to the, the kind of the radio route and going down this path, how much this is going to affect their business?
5: I would say, um, how I look at this is this is not a magic bullet or a magic key. This will um, add credibility to what you're doing and it will also give you the ability to raise your client's voice in the world so to be able to put them on the radio for them to be able to have audio for them to be able to push that out that's huge for a lot of them
4: and people are able to go to your website and to go see archived blog shows talk radio shows and i think that that's amazing lori how much time are you spending getting this up and going every single week
5: well, I'm pretty systematized, which really helps, and so I have a form of what exactly I want from people, and then I just cut and paste it. I make sure that they send it to me in a Word document so that I can just plug it into my script, and so for me to, to develop my script is probably about an hour's worth of time. I usually do an hour prior to the show, pushing it out to social media setting up the page. It, I mean, it adds up. I probably every week, I bet I have four to five hours into the radio show.
4: And in terms of cost out of pocket, how much does it cost you to kind of rent a space, if you will?
5: That is the cool thing. Well, it costs me $40 a month, and I can have a show up to two hours a day if I like. I mean, you can use the platform in a lot of different variables. For private conversations, maybe you're having meetings that you want recorded so people can go back and review it and it's not public. Quality can be an issue with any um, Internet radio. And for some, they may not choose to go that route. Quality might be really important. Um, In my particular industry, being Alzheimer's and caregiving, what I have found is that people in the trenches aren't so concerned with the quality as they are the content.
4: What was your goal in starting your, your radio show, and how long ago did you start it?
5: I've been doing it for about two years, and my goal was really to raise others' voices and to pull information and resources together. So not just did I have them, but I could share it in an easy format with others. Plus, it's not in a written format because not everybody has time to read. You know, it's something that they can upload from iTunes, listen to it on the go. Um, To me, that was really important.
4: Have you been able to garner sponsorships?
5: Yeah, my sponsorships are a little bit different um, because it's not just radio related. It ties into my website, the resource directory, my webinar series, uh, my talks that I do. And so it's a little bit more complicated than the average sponsorship um, that's out there. And, so
4: it's not just um, the radio. We're not looking at sponsoring radio. We're looking at the whole Alzheimer's Speaks package.
5: Yeah, and, and being able to give them an opportunity to be able to, like, tap into my audience, my blog audience. You know, they can submit articles if they'd like. Um, we can do a radio show on them. We can do, you know, I can work in little spots for them, but it, we don't want them to really sound like a commercial.
4: What would you leave listeners with? What would be a few pointers that you would want to make sure that they walked away with?
5: I would say this, be your authentic self, deliver something that's different but true to you, and don't get discouraged. If others don't believe, believe in yourself, believe in your passion, and if you have a vision, go after it. Do it.
4: We have been able to to talk and find out a little bit about what is somebody out there who is spending all this time doing radio for, and I think you've shed some good light on it for us.
0: My next guest, Rebecca Morgan, has been referred to as the walking and talking encyclopedia of the speaking business, because everything she gets her hands on filters somehow into our speaking world in some form. Not only has she been involved in every committee and major board in NSA, but she's also the publisher of SpeakerNet News. The speaking industry always seems to change, and Rebecca was able to shift her business during those changes and use what is current and useful now. She's here to offer some insights into how to make your next book successful. I know that you have some insights into what makes a book successful that are not what
6: people expect. Share that with us, please. So Dave Jensen came to Speaker Net News, to Ken and I, to see if we would sponsor a, a empirical study on what has worked with people and what hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. So we asked our readership of 9,000 plus to respond if they had published a book in the last five years because we thought that was critical. That Mm -hmm. What used to work no longer works so we had a little under three hundred people respond who had published a book either self-published through a major publisher or an ebook. That's a good sampling. And uh, so Dave and Ken and I com- um, refined the responses into just the key point. So we created a report from that you know you wanted us to give you maybe a highlight or two from that report yeah, exactly. and if people wanted the full report they can go to SpeakerNet News sure. to get it. One of the things that was fascinating to me was the same answer came up both as what was the best thing that people who had sold more than 5,000 copies did and what was the worst thing. <laughs> so uh, the, the thing that worked for some people that absolutely didn't work for other people was hiring a publicist. Did
0: work for some, didn't work for others. Well, right. I would be among the didn't work for others because <laughs> I, I spent money with publicists on some of my books. And I found it to be a really good way to remove money.
6: Mm-hmm. And what I've been fascinated in, so I now have 25 books, 20 of which are self-published. A couple are sold over 250000 each. Wow. So I've got both ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so for my self-published books, I've gone to get the publicity and haven't ever paid for it, but was in, for example, Newsday with a nice uh, a nice article about one of my books. They have a circulation of 350,000 people. I think I had a few more people come to my blog, a few hundred people, the day it came out. I don't think I sold a book. <laughs> so if we're looking at getting in some of these big markets and expecting the phone to ring and the books to sell off the shelf... It, it doesn't pay off. But for some people, it did. So maybe they're just smarter than I am.
0: Or maybe there was a, a unique factor in their mix that we didn't notice. I don't want to discount the value of a publicist because they truly, they live in a world that we don't understand. Yes. And, and they are able to navigate that world and get press or or airtime that we wouldn't be able to get
6: and i think if it's in the right market and the right media Mm -hmm. then absolutely uh and they often do have the contacts and the relationships to get you some of that press
0: and that goes back to the basic issue if you can't sell you slash your book you know you the speaker or your book or your consulting services or whatever it's really unrealistic for you to expect other people to be able to sell your services or your book.
6: And I think that's one of the biggest myths in our business is, yes, it's important to have a book as a calling card. But as you and I know, that's really, it establishes us as an expert. But if we expect to earn direct revenue from that book sale, unless you're selling pre-speech, you're probably not going to make a lot of money Mm -hmm. off of that. But it did show in our survey that people uh, were able to raise their fees, yeah. In fact, some of them said it helped them raise their fees to the tune of over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Wow! Yeah. So, what what are the other insights? What what can we? Well, I think learn. Th- this didn't come as much from the survey, but just generally, people have been focused on the physical book, and what we're seeing generally is that e-books are quickly catching up. In fact, e-books outsold. Hard copy books on Amazon a couple years ago, so if we don't have that's our a book, C change yeah if our, we don't have our book in e form then we're really losing out and Seth Godin says the physical book will become a souvenir that's something that you can autograph and give to people but just expecting them to buy the book without your autograph they would rather buy the electronic version of that. And the same with your CD set. Okay, if you're selling back of the room, you may need to have something physical, but with Speaker Net News, we sell 10 times easily. Uh, mp3s to cds in fact we stopped producing cds about a year ago Mm -hmm. so if people are still buying masses of cd albums and they have them in their garage you might want to rethink (laughs) how how are you going to get rid of these or how are you going to transfer them into mp3 format
0: package them with the cassettes and the the, the vhs video (laughs) recordings and the uh... (laughs) wow in the year 2000 a company called Net Digital Library said, We're going to announce to the world the existence of ebooks. Well, they had 2,000 titles that came out in the year 2000. Number one bestseller of all was Stephen King's Writing the Bullet, which he only released in ebook mm-hmm. form. Number two national bestseller was My Book, The Acorn Principle. And I didn't even know it was in the mix <laughs> until after I got the news. Third was Robert Ludlam, Hades Factor, and then Tom Peters, and then a whole bunch of others, 2,000 titles for that year. But at that time, the sale of hardcover books to ebooks was a zillion to one. And you're saying a couple of years ago, ebook sales surpassed. Right. Wow.
6: On Amazon, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the downside for us as speakers and authors is we used to get some buzz by having somebody carry around our book, especially if they were famous. Yeah. But even at a conference, maybe they bought it at a booth or something, and oh, that book looks interesting. Now, if it's in e form, there's none of that buzz created. Cause Plus, no... where do you
0: where do you autograph an iPad? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. or a Kindle or Nook, you know.
6: <laughs> there is an electronic signature, yeah, but I don't know how it works.
0: Yeah, I, I've, as a matter of fact, in SpeakerNet News, I read a little idea on that, <laughs> really? and I clicked on the link. Yes, I, I, absolutely, I'm a follower, and I found the little app and I loaded it onto my website. So if someone wants a digital autograph of their book, they can get it Very clicking great. right there. All right. Tell us how. What? Are, what's the subscription price?
6: Well for the, for the easy which comes out every Friday and it's a collection of best practice tips and thank you for sending yours in you so your dues for getting that every Friday is two tips a quarter you're on your honor system to send uh-huh. us in two tips, and then we take on the decision whether it's apropos or not. So don't be offended if you send in a tip and you don't get it used. Um, we just try to decide what we think would be of most interest to the people.
0: This, this is the brilliant part, I think, of SpeakerNet News. You're not going to press with these ideas and saying, this is what I know that you will want to learn you're asking us to all contribute, and then you're simply providing the medium and the editorial guidance to make it worth reading to get it out there for everyone to share ideas. Right. Cool. Good job, Rebecca. <laughs> well, thank you. There you go. Any any further insights on the? Uh, I mean, I don't want you to give away all the details that are in your report on this, but but whatever highlights you can give us a, a flavor of.
6: When I've seen colleagues who really their books have soared, they're very smart and they're working with uh, agents usually or publishers who really understand promotion. Which uh, in my there experience, there would be lot, like
0: two on earth, right? Yeah. A lot of publishers
6: yeah. don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are all these secrets, like some of our colleagues don't tell you, that the reason their book became one of the New York Times bestsellers is they went to New York, or they had people there who bought 25,000 copies that week. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so wow. So there are these secrets. Talk about that, an
0: expensive way to hit a list.
6: Well, but if you think it's going to up your annual revenue, as our people mm-hmm. said, a 100,000 a year... In the first year. Good
0: point. I don't know. And, and that's one of the things I think many people miss when they're thinking about books. If you and I go to speak at a convention, they're going to have T-shirts, carry bags, imprinted pens with their custom logo that cost as much as a book in many cases or more. And if we can just show them how much more special an autographed copy of a book would feel to their people mm-hmm. and then get... The order early enough that we can put in a personal message from their chief executive or their founder or their whoever, you know, somebody like that in the front of the book, then it makes our book a better collectible than their custom imprinted
6: writing pad. Right. In fact, for some of my coaching clients, what I'm helping them do is not only pre-sell the book, but then to couple that with a post-speech webinar that then would go into something that in the oh. book... You guide them through it. Right. But not it's not something you would cover in the keynote. The keynote just gets their interest. Uh-huh. But then a month later, when you have the follow-up webinar, they need to have read certain chapters in the book. So that go. then cements that sale of the book.
0: And you could offer one of those free and maybe sign up the company if they liked it enough to do a whole year series of those. And then other people say, well, I want to participate in that. I wasn't at the meeting. All you need, Rebecca, is just to buy a copy of the book and meet us online at this date. That's right. And
6: I've done that with some colleagues where we put together whole webinar academies to serve that client because they may get tired of us after the first or second one. So we bring in colleagues to fill out that whole year. Yeah, lots of possibilities, but you have to be willing to think beyond what used to work.
0: And you have to have... The personal drive to actually make it happen. That's one of the themes I've noticed in all the interviews I've done, is that in every case where a substantial business success has been grown, the person driving it has been the person driving it. Yes. Without question. And you're clearly one of those. And I appreciate it. I appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your thoughts (laughs) with us today and your insights. My pleasure. Thank you, Rebecca. Our ongoing segment, Glad You Asked, is hosted by our chief listening officer, Greg Williams. And this month, he brings us a special feature created by former VOE chair, Brian Walter, also a new CPAE recipient. Brian is answering the question, how do you earn a CSP and how have the new qualifications changed the game for those who intend to become a CSP?
4: Hi. This is Greg Williams, your CLO, Chief Listening Officer for BOE. Most of you have heard the buzz about the significant CSP qualification upgrade, and many of you have had lots of questions. Here to tell us more about
7: those changes is the CSP Committee Chair, Brian Walter. Hi, this is Brian Walter, your volunteer CSP Committee Chair, and I know that you have heard the buzz. The Certified Speaking Professional qualification criteria and application has been significantly updated. But is the CSP process improved? Will SCADs more speakers flock to earn this highest of all earned NSA designation? Or has the value become so watered dead that past recipients will hawk their CSP medals on eBay in shame? Okay, perhaps a little dramatic, but those are the extremes you've been hearing, right? Let's walk through the updates... And then you decide. The CSP is NSA's highest earned professional designation. It is bestowed on NSA members who have extensive and verifiable speaking and business professionalism. The past CSP chairs and 12 other NSA colleagues of yours have invested over three years researching, talking to members, and updating the entire CSP qualification and application process. At long last, this work is done and it's been voted on and accepted by your NSA board. That means right now you can apply for your CSP using the updated process. If that's all you want to know, you're good to go. The CSP application is available on nsaspeaker.org. Stop listening and move on to the next VOE feature. But if you also want to know what the updates are, why they were made, and how they're good for you and the association, get comfortable for the next several minutes. So let's review and contrast the core requirements for earning your CSP under the updated process. It starts with membership. You're a member of NSA for a year, and then you can apply, instead of three years. This was updated so that when you recruit a high-performing, successful speaker to NSA who already has a long-established business, he or she doesn't have to wait to apply just because. If they have a proven track record, they can use it. With the update, you either attend the live sessions of the NSA competencies and ethics sessions or listen to the recordings. This now satisfies your education requirements. But the biggest updates are around presentation count and fees. To qualify for the CSP, you document 250 professionally paid presentations. Period. No fewer. And while you do list out all the clients, there isn't a requirement to follow some convoluted formula to arrive at anywhere from 25 to 100 clients. If you've been paid to speak professionally 250 times, odds are it's been for way more than 25 different clients. So the reality is, the new standard is stronger than what we had before, while also being way more straightforward. And you can now pretty much qualify with those 250 presentations as quickly or methodically as you want. They used to have to occur over five to six years. Now you can do them in one year, or three years, or five years, or up to ten. Doesn't matter. What does matter, and what is measured, is achieving the 250 speech threshold. With the update, their fee requirement for presentations is also stronger. In the application process, the speaker documents at least five specific years of earning $50,000 or more in paid presentations revenue for the five to ten years being listed on their application. There isn't any averaging. So the speaker is verifying earnings of a quarter million dollars in revenue at minimum. Likely, it's more than that. Now, as a companion to that requirement, we've updated what constitutes paid presentation revenue. Member after member told the committee that a huge percentage of speakers now use a business model based on product sales. To not include same-day product sales is ignoring a reality of our industry. Under the past system, we would have said a speech qualifies if there was a $500 fee, but not if there was no fee, but 10 times that amount earned that day in product sales. That's crazy. And now it's fixed in the update. Another update is how external validation is measured and experienced. We've dispensed with a requirement to submit 20 testimonial emails or letters. Come on, who can't do that? It isn't a true measurement of professionalism, so we got rid of it but we retain the requirement that 20 external clients fill out an evaluation of the applicant's speaking skills. With the update, though, it's now an online experience. Much better for the client. With their external review, there's a minimum score, which if it isn't reached by the speaker, the application process stops. Now what's completely new with this update is a CSP review panel. The applicant will select two current CSPs of their choice, and NSA will select an additional two. These four current CSPs will review a live or videoed presentation of the applicant's speech. They will rate the applicant using nearly identical criteria as the external client reviewers. Once again, a minimum score must be reached, otherwise the whole application process stops. The panelists are then asked to recommend that the candidate be awarded or not awarded the CSP based on the platform skills they observed. These recommendations go to the CSP committee and then the NSA board for the ultimate decision, as has been done previously. This CSP peer review panel raises our process to the same level as nearly every other professional association that provides certification. Our speaking colleagues in the UK have been doing this for years. They say it's vital. Without it, qualification is almost purely quantitative versus qualitative. With the update, we made other improvements that past CSP recipients told the committee should be made, like allowing virtual live paid presentations to count as speeches, not worrying if 14 versus 15 attendees constituted a true audience or not, and allowing presenters who are employees of an organization to qualify under certain circumstances. In the past, a contract employee could qualify, but not an actual employee. So, there you have it. We strengthen what matters most, eliminated differences that made no difference, and added in the CSP review panel to ensure that the high level of professionalism of those who currently hold the CSP designation is sustained. If you don't have your CSP, now is the time to apply. It's a purposely rigorous standard, but the updated process is very straightforward. And as one who has the CSP, I can tell you, it's worth it. You'll find all the details on the application at nsaspeaker.org.
0: Mickey Williams has a message for us regarding our upcoming winter convention. Go, Mickey.
8: Hi, this is Mickey Williams, CSP, and your newest CPAE and co-chair of the Winter Conference in Tampa on the weekend of February 28th. I'm in charge of the StageCraft Secrets Lab and I am excited! Besides hearing from Funny Funny Tim Guard and outrageous little me, I promise you four speakers you've never heard of. Why? They come from my Vistage World, the world's largest executive organization and they're the top four award-winning speakers one will be speaking on how we speak to multi-generational audiences another a movie director and actor coaching on speaking skills another on putting social media into your presentation in ways you've never seen before and the last one from the UK, head of a big improv company. How cool is that? I personally endorse all of these speakers that you have never heard of. And if you don't agree with me, well, you have the right to be wrong. So be there. The weekend of February 28th, Stagecraft Secrets Carpe Diem, Carpe Conference.
0: Thank you, Mickey. And now let's hear a word from our leader, Ron Carr.
9: As we approach the holiday season, it is a time of celebration and reflection. Speaking of reflection, the NSA leadership team met offsite this past October for its annual leadership retreat. Attending this meeting were the NSA president, yours truly, our president-elect, vice president and CEO. This meeting has been taking place for the past five years and the results have been phenomenal. First, it allows the leadership team to step away from their usual day of business to evaluate the state of affairs within NSA. The team takes a look at where we've been as an organization, where we are currently, and where we would like to go. Notice how I use the word team. We have found out if NSA is going to achieve consistent growth and success year after year, the leadership team must be on the same page. It ensures that each president provides a continuum of leadership with implementation of the three-year strategic plan. In our association, we have many different business models. We have speakers with several staff members, speakers with one staff person, and those that are sole practitioners. Regardless of your model, I do highly recommend you implement the concept of at least an annual off-site meeting to review your results, figure out where you're going, and the best way to proceed. Some speakers do this in the form of a mastermind group. Others do it differently. If you don't have a mastermind group and are a sole practitioner, Whom would you ask to join you at this meeting? Well, how about inviting your trusted advisors who can present you with an unbiased view and ideas you may not have thought about. These advisors can include your accountant, lawyer, and any other person whom you feel will have some valid ideas. Make sure everyone is on board and in sync with each other. For when this happens, you will be realizing the same results NSA has been generating from its annual leadership retreat. I'm reminded of a speaker in NSA who I know quite well. In 2004, she was really down on her luck. She was working really hard but made the same mistakes many speakers do and went into large amounts of debt to finance her business. One day she woke up and was tired of living on the edge of potential bankruptcy and reached out to the local Chamber of Commerce to enlist the help of financial advisors. She then asked these advisors and a couple of other professionals, whom she respected, to join her newly created advisory board. None of these advisors knew anything about the speaking business, but what they did know was how to start, grow, and build a business. And today, this speaker runs a multi-million dollar business. NSA is dedicated to providing such education on how to grow one's business. Besides listening to seminars and recordings such as VOE, you also need objective feedback on your actual strategies and tactics, and you need that feedback from others who are not as vested in your business as you are. As you listen to this issue of VOE, you undoubtedly are getting ready for the holidays and the new year. All of us at NSA... The staff and volunteers want to wish you and your family the very best for a joyous holiday season. May the new year bring you everything you desire and deserve. Happy holidays.
0: I have always admired the way my next guest, Barbara Glanz, affects other people. With a lot of speakers, you talk about things they do from the platform with their success and such, and I could talk about that with her. But what I like most when I'm thinking about Barbara Glanz is the way other people respond to her. There's a spirit about her that seems to say, I care about you. I care about all of us and I want to help
10: my um, fundamental philosophy of life is that we are here to serve and to love others mm-hmm. and my personal motto is spreading contagious enthusiasm and the root words of enthusiasm as you know are entheos over from yeah. god yeah. so something bigger than any of us because i do feel that that is a gift that i bring and not always out of uh, a perfect life Mm -hmm. Uh, So sometimes the compassion that we have because of struggles um, I think makes us much more loving and aware of the stories that everybody else has yeah. to tell. Well, I was a high school and college English teacher, taught mm-hmm. drama, actually uh, directed David Hasselhoff in his really? first high school play. Wow! And I have to say, he wasn't a very good actor then, and he still <laughs> isn't. <laughs> but, good guy. So then, uh, made the decision when our children were born to stay home with them. I was a stay-at-home mom for 19 years. Uh, finished my master's degree one class a quarter for five years in adult learning. It was great. My kids watched that, so the value of education for them was important. Uh, Then went back as manager of training for a Times Mirror company. Did that from 1988 to 1995. And they did training and consulting and customer service. So I grew their staff from 11 to about 60. I helped design their whole facilitator certification process uh, and helped write some of their programs but we were telling everyone be good to customers and nobody was caring about the employees and that really became a passion for me because they're they're two sides of the same coin oh, yeah. that you'll never have happy customers if you don't have happy employee. 1995 uh-huh. I started my own company my husband was getting ready to retire early and we had two girls in college so it was a risk yeah um, but it was a, uh, the best decision I ever made and uh, was 51 years old when mm-hmm. I started my company and by 1988 I'd spoken on four continents and had uh, two movies made and written five books and oh, wow what um, kind of movies? Um, The story of Johnny the Bagger, um, which, you know, everyone seems to know it's pretty ubiquitous right now. From
0: the Simple Truths
10: Yeah, it was a a story that um, occurred when I first started speaking. It started because I was asked to speak to 3,000 employees of a large grocery store chain, and they brought everybody. And I had said to them, what can you do to add your personal signature to your work? How can you make the customer feel special? Uh And Johnny called me to tell me i always give my home phone number to every audience in the world wow. and called to tell me about 3 months later what he was doing and then a month later the store manager so called me go. to tell me what had happened in the store as so many, many, many things have happened as a result of, of that young man and how one person can make a difference. And that is really the essence of my message, whether it's internally in the culture or externally with customers.
0: Mm-hmm. Boy, that's beautiful. And well, You've had some challenges, too. I have, yeah,
10: yeah, I have we had a child who died, my husband passed away of cancer a number of years ago, mm-hmm. um, so you know it hasn 't been easy
0: so how do you how do you keep that that happy, cheerful, optimistic, still going forward spirit? despite having had to deal with, with uh, you know, climbing mountains like those?
10: Well, it's a choice, you know, and and we all have that choice. Nobody has a perfect life. We don't get home free in, in this life. Um, so I think, you know, not always easy. Mm-hmm. But to choose uh, every day to say, this is the day the Lord has made, I mm-hmm. will rejoice and be glad in it. Wow. And uh, it, it, as I say, it's not always easy, but I think that the message that we share, Um, really from the inside out is really always about choices
0: So what's next on the horizon for you?
10: I have a new book coming out in just a couple of weeks. It's a very different book from what I've done. It's been much of it been written for quite some time, but it didn't fit my corporate brand. And so this spring I decided it was time to get that book out. It's called Priceless Gifts, Using What God's Given You to Bless Others. And it's all kinds of ideas of things you can do for other people that most of which cost no money. The day that I turned that manuscript into the publisher, I got a call from a very large private trust company asking me to work with them on programs for their high net value families on giving. And so I feel like maybe that is the direction the Lord is pushing my business Mm -hmm. into um, looking, focusing more on The opportunities that we have to give back in many ways.
0: That's beautiful. Well, it's obvious you have a strong faith. How has that? Uh, played a role in in your day-to-day dealings in the marketplace and so forth.
10: We are all messengers of something. Uh, I love Ken Blanchard's definition of ego, edging God out, (laughs) and so it has helped so much to keep me focused on it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It is about my audience, it is about the people that I meet in my life, it is about others. And I think that focus comes from that foundational belief that um, we are here to serve.
0: Barbara Glanz, you're a blessing to all of us. Thank you for spending time on VOE. Haley Foster is a specialist in short talks. She works with speakers in crafting their message so that it becomes as short, as practical, but as powerful as possible. She works within the TED and TEDx world quite often, and I asked her if she would explain what's different about the TED community, and how can speakers use the short talk strategies that apply there more effectively in their own speaking environment. Welcome to VOE, Haley Foster. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you describe briefly what what is TED?
11: Well, um, TED was founded by Richard Saul Warman in the 80s, and he created this very casual conference where he brought people from technology, entertainment, and design, the TED of TED, together to cross-pollinate ideas. And they landed on this short talk format of 18, 12, or six minutes. They did not dress up, and they had long periods of interaction. And he, the, who was invited to the audience was as important as who was speaking because they would invite dignitaries, students, artists, engineers, researchers, musicians. And having that mixed in the audience created connections that couldn't be made before. And so when Chris Anderson acquired it in 2001, he broadened this to include world-renowned experts in every, every field, And they used the same short talk format. And they began to seek out the most interesting people on earth who had new ideas worth spreading. And that's where it came from. So
0: that's their slogan, ideas worth spreading. Right. Yeah.
11: In 2006, June Cohen, who's the director of media for TED, found out about podcasting and posted six talks from their archives onto the main web page of TED and they exploded. The next year in 2007 is when TED.com TED came into being and they took all of their archives of talks since the 80s and put them into a podcast form and they had 1.5 million people around the world.
0: Watching those videos.
11: Watching those videos. That was in 2007. So by 2009, they were thinking, what else can we do? And they came up with this idea of licensing worthy, independent organizations to do local TED-style events. Mm -hmm. And that's how TEDx was born. Okay. So the X, when you see that, it stands for local, independently organized event. I developed a process... Out of necessity, but based on what I had learned in the eight prior years at NSA, prepared me to be able to know how to create something that would extract a core message from a neuroscientist used to lecturing for three hours.
0: And and get it into (laughs) a
11: seven-minute, yeah, seven Mm -hmm. minutes, no notes. Yeah. And make it compelling. I really see that... The values of the two organizations that I am so fond of and so heavily invested in are very similar. Mm -hmm. So the Cavett-Robert values are the same as TEDx organizer values because at the core, we are here to help each other and make a difference in the world that will outlast ourselves.
0: What's the difference between a short talk and one that would fit into the world of TED and TEDx?
11: A TED-style talk communicates a single new idea worth spreading in the TED style. There's a variety of talks posted on TED.com and also to the TEDx YouTube channel that Mm -hmm. people can investigate how TED style talks are done. And you can listen to or watch the variety. It was world-renowned experts in the beginning, Mm -hmm. and now we have just a plethora of ordinary people telling extraordinary stories. There's one on how to use just one paper towel Another of my favorites that's very short is what I learned when my plane was crashing. Rick Elias, he was on the plane that Sully landed in the Hudson. Wow! It's a remarkable talk and one that I use in teaching. So that's one that the speaker should go to. If they think that they can't say anything significant in five minutes, go watch that talk.
0: So how does one prepare a short talk differently than, um, say, a longer one where they've got more freedom of movement.
11: We have a habit as speakers of wanting to then deconstruct the learning points in one through seven Mm -hmm. with a pithy acronym that will help them remember it. And they're not going to, by the way. And it's not necessary. Trust your audience to get your meaning. Know yourself well enough to know that if you use what your talent is that gets you booked, Mm -hmm. you can communicate with your voice and with your body a message that they will resonate with, and you don't have to tell them what they're supposed to get out of it. We have incredible messages to share, but not all in the same talk. Mm -hmm. We also have to look at trends. Attention spans are shrinking. People don't have time to listen to your 45 minutes, and they might want to listen to 15 and never get back to it. So it would be smarter to do three 15-minute
0: modules. Yeah. See, when I first started out in NSA, Bill Gove said, make your talk a combination of vignettes, something that has a beginning, middle, and end, makes sense all by itself, doesn't require any baggage in order for it to justify its existence. It's right there. He said, if you have a number of these vignettes... You can mix and match them appropriately to become however long a talk you need them to be. The vignettes are the key to that flexibility.
11: Well, what you'll find on TED is that most popular talks actually have story, maybe some research, something new, but something that attaches what's new to what you already know.
0: But what's the difference between TEDx and TED uh, hierarchy-wise?
11: Okay, so TED is the parent organization. hmm that sort of allowed this franchise to exist. But they're all independent. I believe, being one of founding TEDx organizers, Mm -hmm. that they intended for us to make a difference in our local community. And sometimes that difference would be elevated to make a difference in the world. That's really what it's about. It's about taking these ideas and putting them on stage to an audience who cares, that's diverse, and giving them time to interact. What you have to have in a TEDx event, an independent organizer who is unpaid, Mm -hmm. a team of volunteers who are incredibly dedicated. You may hire for professional services such as audio-video recording Mm -hmm. or coaching services or PR, but the rest of it is 100% volunteer. And it takes, a good TEDx event takes four to six months to put together.
0: Yeah, I would think so.
11: The magic is in the mix, and the magic is in the space in between. Organizers are so excited Uh. about giving people in their local community and some from outside the opportunity to have a platform to make a difference they want to cram too many people in the program
0: kind of like speakers that want to cram too many ideas into their speech bingo mm-hmm.
11: every tedx event is now locational
0: so it's geographic yeah yeah
11: i think um, i think in san francisco there are 60 something events wow, in, one in a city. year yeah and people will will ask well doesn't that saturate the market and do people still want to come? And the answer is it depends on the event, the reputation of the organizer, and how well it's done. Yeah. And one thing I didn't mention is that everything is themed. So events choose a theme. What we strive for in our naming is something that's specific enough to be tangible but broad enough to allow in all kinds of interpretation. Yeah. So it's important that it's not so narrow that the platform ends up being 17 talks all about the same subject, and everybody's like, oh, I can't stand listening to that anymore. The central focus of any TED-style talk is a new idea worth spreading. In that context, how many ideas are there in the world?
0: Endless. Well, Haley, you've served us well in our thinking at NSA about ideas worth spreading. Thank you. You're quite welcome. On VOE this year, we've done a segment called Show Me the Money. And what quicker way is there to make more money than by continually educating yourself on the speaking industry so you can become better at what you do? I'd like to introduce you to NSA's PEGS which help you do just that. PEG, like a peg you hang your hat on, in this case is short for professional expert groups. They focus on the specialties within the world of speaking, whether it be working in the education market with schools or in sales or publishing, whatever it is. Bob Windover is the chair this year and is here to give us an overview of the ever-growing PEG world.
12: Pegs are kind of the hidden gem in NSA. We uh, we spend so much time talking about the uh, the meetings and everything, but this is a monthly opportunity for uh, those who subscribe to uh, to hear some good stuff about the the different specialties that they may be in, in, associated with, and it comes out in the form of both newsletters and what we call pegcasts, which are 30- to 45-minute interviews with some leaders in that particular field. So right. we certainly feel like uh, it's a great opportunity to continue the education throughout the year rather than just at the the, at the national meetings. What we try to do, what I encourage all of my chairs to do, is take it to the next level, to the to the individual such as yourself, for mm-hmm. instance, who's been around for a while and is looking for engagement, something that's really going to kind of take you to the next level or teach you something you didn't know and so yeah. on. And that's that's what we're really looking for in these, both in terms of the uh, content that comes out in the newsletters and also mm-hmm. in the interviews. We're all, as speakers, evolving, and we're, we're more focused on solutions. You know, standing up as the uh, sage on the stage or whatever is not something we're Doing anymore. So I encourage people to look at all of the pegs and mm-hmm. to really pick up, because in some cases you might be doing a keynote, in other cases you're, you're focused on a particular part of the industry that you want to explore more, you want to learn from. So it's yeah. a good opportunity to really pick up and listen. There, there's 12 of them. If you have an all-peg pass, it's a great opportunity to literally pick up 96 pe- pieces of, of content during the year.
0: Thanks, Bob. We have a new player on the VOE team. John Schwartz. You may know him as the Bada Bing guy, Vinnie Varelli. John is editing our interviews and helping increase the impact of each segment. Between John, Rocky Hire at Master Video, our team at High Point University, including Alina Aldrich, and Barbara Paris of the NSA staff, we have a power team bringing you these messages. Now let's reach back to the year when Terry Paulson was president for a custom song written and recorded for that year's NSA theme by NSA member Jody Walker. It's called Soaring on the Wings of Words. We're
2: soaring to new horizons, reaching out far and wide. There's heart with the message we impart On the wings of words Each and every voice you hear Has something different to say Reaching out to touch someone The passion behind the words we speak Is alive and here to stay Touching another spirit For a brighter day Wherever we go, we love to share Our customers always know we care On the wings of words